Hi, welcome to Church Split. My name is Will, and let's talk about a topic that might split your church and might not split your church. It is a controversial topic in Christianity, but it is a topic that we should talk about and address. So today I have some very special guests with me. I have Brad over here with uh, Alternate Media and Joshua with Baptist to Catholic, and we are going to be discussing this very question. Is baptism necessary for salvation? So these guys have agreed to come on and I'm going to put a link of their channels and their things in the description of this video. Please go check them out. They're good guys. Uh, but, you know, this is definitely a topic that we want to address. So a few things beforehand. Uh, we're going to be uh, conducting this with a, a certain structure to it. That way we don't get too much in the weeds. So I'm just going to ask that the victor of this, uh, that, the, that the Jewish... Uh, Old Testament guy, we don't go stoning people afterwards, and the Catholic, let's please not burn anyone at the stake. Um, just kidding, guys. I love you all. I'm, now I'm afraid that I might actually be killed. Who knows? We'll see what happens. But um, but I appreciate you all being on. I know it takes a lot for anyone to come forward with their ideas and take it into the realm of, you could say, theological battle. But this has been going on for years in uh, Christian history, and I think that we shouldn't take that lightly. So with that being said, gentlemen, we'll be conducting a respectful yet hopefully lively debate today uh, on is baptism necessary for salvation. So Brad, you'll be representing the negative that it is not necessary, am I correct? Okay, and Joshua, you'll be affirming the positive that it is necessary, correct? Yes, sir. All right. So that is the that is this the gig. So we obviously we have a historical Jewish Christian, and then we have a Catholic as well. So is there any particular? Is it just Orthodox Catholic or is it a Catechism Catholic? I don't know how you'd identify yourself. I don't want to miss. No, Universal to... is universal. Okay, <laughs> I figured that's what what it was, but I wasn't sure if it's as divided and confusing as ours can be. So, yeah. um, but pretty straightforward. Cool. All right. With that being said, it's my job as my to be the neutral party. And as you guys know, I'm a highly opinionated and vocal individual. So that's going to be the challenge that I get to bear today. And so try to, and I'm just going to try to keep us on the rails, so to speak. And I will be merely conducting most of the timestamps and asking questions when necessary, especially when we get to uh, the cross-examination period. So with that being said, we're going to start off with uh, 10 minute opening statements. And Joshua, you get to lead with that. So go ahead. All right. Well, thank you, Will, and uh, thank you, Brad, and uh, thank you, everybody that's watching, and I'm grateful to the Lord for this opportunity. I'm not a great debater. Um, I'm not on here to show how smart I am or to embarrass anyone or to attack anyone. Uh, hopefully, uh, I want to present the truth and trust the Holy Spirit that um, he'll help all of us uh, throughout. I was a Baptist pastor for 10 years. Uh, I am now a Catholic, but to me, it's very important important that I, I represent here not specifically a Catholic position, um, but what was the historic Christian position from those that the apostles personally trained all the way through Martin Luther, so for the first 1,500 years of church history. As a Baptist pastor, I would have disagreed with the position that I'm taking in this debate, and so I'm uh, opposing Brad, but also my old self and hopefully bring up some objections that everybody's going to have, right? What are the main objections that people have against the affirmative on this question? So is baptism necessary for salvation? If you're asking that in an absolute sense, that is, can God save someone who's not baptized? The answer to that is yes, because God is God, 
And uh, God has bound us to his sacraments, but God is not bound by his sacraments. And so the obvious example, you think of the thief on the cross, right, who isn't baptized but was with Christ in paradise. Uh, you think of the Samaritans, which hopefully we talk about, who are baptized um, and then don't receive the Holy Spirit until afterwards, right? And uh, we're going to see actually the reverse of that as well. If you think about somebody who believes in Christ, but they die before they're baptized, but they have the desire, or someone who wants to be baptized, but they die a martyr's death. Uh, the church has always recognized a baptism by water, a baptism by desire, and the baptism by blood. So what I am going to answer in this, and hopefully what you're asking me is, is it normally necessary for salvation? That is, is it the normative way? Is it the normal way that God has chosen uh, to save us? And the answer to that is yes. Biblically speaking, it is God's instrument of grace, whereby we respond in faith to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ by ourselves being buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. It is the sacrament of faith or the ordinance of faith. Jesus taught it, the apostles practiced it, and all Christians universally believed it for the first, again, 1500 years. I think there are three main objections to baptism being necessary for salvation as the normative path. The first of which I would have held before, which is that in some, somehow it's contrary to the gospel of grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And I want to say first, you know, first up, uh, I believe in salvation by grace alone through faith in Christ alone. And if you define faith in the biblical way, I could say by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So that's non-negotiable for me, and that's something that the Catholic Church affirms. It's also true that Paul very strongly opposes the addition of works of the law to a gospel of grace through faith. He does that in four main passages. In the book of Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, and Colossians, uh, we see... Uh, him talk about the works of the law. And amazingly, we can talk about all four of those passages in this debate because Paul, in all four, uses baptism in his argument for salvation by grace through faith. It's one of his favorite points to bring up, not against. So for Paul to undergo, in his words, Titus 3, the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit is, an, again, in his words, is to be justified by grace. Paul never contrasts water baptism with grace or faith. Exactly the opposite, precisely the opposite. In those passages, the context is always the addition of the works of the law, and three specifically, circumcision, dietary laws, and Sabbath keeping. Those are the works of the law that Paul has in mind. That was the first great heresy that the church um, opposed and was confronted with in the New Testament, we see Paul very strongly in his letters oppose it, and we see it opposed at the Council of Jerusalem in Acts chapter number 15. Now, if this is your objection, as it was mine, I want to answer it with Scripture. And I just didn't see it in its context before, and I think that's actually very key. So that's the first main objection. The second main objection is more of a practical objection, which says that God doesn't use material things to work spiritual graces. 
the smacks of Gnosticism, which was uh, maybe the second great heresy that the church had to confront, which said that all of creation is evil, right? Material things are evil. Stuff is evil. God is the God of spiritual things, and those are good, and those are pure. But um, it, it, you hear it sometimes when people say, how could water wash away sins? Sins are spiritual. Uh, but if God wants to use water to wash away sins, he can, because he's God. And we'll actually see, if you look in the Bible, God delights in using material things. He used dust to make Adam. He uses a rib to make Eve. Could have done it out of nothing. He chose to use material things. He had the Israelites look at a metal snake on a pole and heal them. In 2 Kings, you have them burying a man. They see some raiders coming down the road. They throw him in the tomb of Elisha. They touch his dead bones. He comes back to life. Um, Naaman, which we can talk about in the context of this debate. He dips himself seven times in the Jordan River, and he comes up free of his leprosy. And it, it offends him. He says, I'm not going to dip in a dirty river. How is that going to heal me? Looking at the life of Christ, you have the woman who reaches out for the hem of the garment of Jesus just to touch it. And what happens? She's made whole. We have Jesus himself take clay and spit in it and rub it on a man's eyes, and he can see. He could do it without it, but he chose to use it. In Acts, we have Peter's shadow passing across people, and they're healed. Paul touches aprons and handkerchiefs. They're sent to people, and they're healed. The apostles put their hands on people, and the Holy Spirit comes into them. The two great sacraments or ordinances of the church, which is Lord's Supper and Baptism, we have bread and wine given for the body and blood of Christ, and we have the water of baptism used in this very powerful way. So why does God use material things uh, for spiritual graces? Well, first and foremost, because we're material beings, right? We are both spirit and body. And what extent will God go to, to do this? He will be incarnate himself. God, the eternal God, took on flesh, right? That's how far he will go to relate to us as material beings and also for humility, right? Can God take the simple things of the world and use them for profound purposes? Thankfully, he will, right? So why would God choose water? Well, it's necessary for life. You have to drink water to live. You have to drink the Holy Spirit for spiritual life because it washes us clean, right? It's a good picture because we are dirty in sin and need to be washed clean. It's also kind of a dark underworld under the spirit uh, world or the, the sky and, the, and the, the air that we live in. So it's a good symbol of being buried in this kind of dark underworld and then being raised to newness of life. Uh, I mean, God could have had us go dig a hole, stick somebody in it, bury them and bring them back. I mean, that would have been a picture as well, but he doesn't, right? We use water, thankfully. And it's also, it's everywhere. And so believers are going to come from everywhere and water is everywhere. It's a good, good thing to use for this. So that's the second main objection. The third main objection may be uh, what Brad's going to present. I don't know much about his position, but um, a little bit from what I heard a couple months ago from you guys Maybe that there's no difference between Old Testament washings, John the Baptist's baptism, and the baptism of the apostles in the New Testament. And I'll let him present his case and then respond to it, but just before we start, I'll argue that Jesus fulfills all of the Old Testament and types of washings and baptisms of the Old Testament, uh, but then he gives us more, right? New Testament baptism is so much more. Uh, Jesus is the better and new Israel, 
uh, in that fulfillment. We, we may be able to talk about that. But mainly because John the Baptist says so, right? I'm baptizing with water. Jesus is going to come and baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. The only rebaptism we see in the New Testament is the rebaptized uh, rebaptism of John's disciples. And hopefully we can get into that. So, what I'd like to say is, if we are saved, when our sins are washed away, when we're born again by water and spirit, when we're united to Christ, when we're buried and resurrected with him, when the Holy Spirit is poured into our hearts, and when Jesus and Peter say that we're saved, baptism is connected to all of those phrases and truths, then baptism is necessary for salvation in God's normal plan. I'll yield the rest to the moderator. All right. Wow. That you actually nine minutes and 54 seconds, man. That was solid. I was watching. I was like, oh, I'll give him a few, a couple more minutes. And then you somehow were able to just, just swing that right on in. So I appreciate that. Thank you for that. <laughs> Thank you for that. I appreciate it. It was definitely, and you know, there was actually some things there, uh, some comparisons and parallels that I've never heard before. So I actually appreciate that, honestly. So uh, with that being said, Brad, you are up thank you very much well it's uh i can i just say it's honestly it's great to be here um well, I've, we've been discussing you and me for a, a little bit a couple of months now and it's uh i feel like this has been a long time coming uh, especially between our two pages uh kind of the the similar nature of content that we do so i'm, I'm very thrilled to be here uh as for uh, mr mr joshua um, I, I gotta say, uh, we, we actually agree on, on more than, uh, I think most would think, uh, for instance, you yourself actually admitted that God can absolutely save someone without baptism. And that, um, uh, that is obviously the, the point I'm going to be defending, uh, for the most part here. Uh, the reason, the reason I think it's, uh, hmm, I don't want to put this the wrong way. I think probably we need to we need to decide at some point what baptisms we're talking about because you've also in your opening statement even acknowledged that there are a few different ones. Um, the the baptism that that I'm predominantly addressing is that which comes by water uh, because well that's that's the one that uh, the church seems to be divided on uh, whether or not it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit itself. Um, I mean, uh, the New Testament makes a pretty good case that that is the product of getting saved. In other words, that it's a, it's a physics-type relationship. It's a cause and effect. You get saved and receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, we see that happen uh, in Acts chapter 10. Um, and I think we, we can probably discuss that a little bit because, you know, only after receiving the Holy Spirit do they then go and seek to do uh, baptism by water. Um, but I think, first and foremost, we need to maybe come back a little bit and uh, let's let's go back to the beginning let's go back to genesis a little bit because uh, even even in romans uh, paul as you said he loves to discuss the topic of baptism and he makes a direct reference to abraham and this is important because it kind of tells us where paul's thoughts are uh, respecting the subject of baptism and salvation uh, what he says about abraham is directly quoted from genesis 15 where we see that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Nowhere ever after that point do we see that Abraham 
was baptized at any point. That that's the point at which he received uh, his salvation, or whatever you may believe the Old Testament equivalent of salvation was. Uh, the the importance of that is to establish what the mode of salvation was in the beginning. Uh, the mode of salvation, as per as per Paul, uh, as per Genesis, is belief. Okay, the the idea of of believing in God's promise uh, specifically, which we happen to be on a a certain end of, being that we exist now after the death and resurrection of Yeshua the Messiah, but whether or not that in and of itself has changed the mode of salvation, I think is something to be discussed as well, because Malachi 3.6, uh, Numbers 3, uh, 23, 19, those both dictate to us that God is unchanging. Um, in one of them, it actually, it specifically says that's a human trait, that he is far above. So if God's mode of salvation was belief only at one point first, uh, we can't we can't derive at any point that it's changed um, apart from establishing the authority by which it changed and and I think I think there's a little bit of struggle in deciphering uh, whether or not it was by God's authority that it ever changed simply because God himself states that he doesn't uh, let's see I'm going through my notes because I actually wrote some of this down <laughs> uh, so you did actually address a little bit the subject of whether or not baptism is mikvah. I feel like that's probably something I'd like to get into a little bit later, but uh, it will kind of work into into what I'm presenting here because, first of all, where did John learn baptism in the first place? That's that's a, a fundamental question that's got to be focused on, okay? Because uh, John came uh, in the spirit of Elijah the prophet who would herald in the Messiah, okay? Uh, so John comes out and he's baptizing everyone. And the Pharisees come to him asking him why he's baptizing. Uh, this is this question is not asked from a stance of unfamiliarity. They're clearly familiar with what baptism is, and they're asking why, in particular, he's doing it. Um, the baptism John is performing is one by water. Now, being that we have a clear timeline in the book of Daniel of when the Messiah would be born... Um, we know that roughly around this time, Israel was expecting the Messiah as as a man to come about and start his ministry. Uh, the importance of the baptism at this point, and John's baptism specifically, is ritual purity. Israel in the first century was absolutely enamored with ritual purity. It was they were they were obsessed about it because they were expecting the Messiah. And when the Messiah comes, what you want to have is a ritually pure society, uh, at least as far as Judaism is concerned. So, how would the herald of Messiah prepare the people for the Messiah's coming? Well, he would make sure that they were all ritually pure. I, uh, outside of that, I actually think that's that's pretty much it. Mine wasn't uh, necessarily too long. It's a little harder for me to take up ten minutes. So is that is that all you're saying there, Brad? Yeah, is that I, I it? You're giving I'm, us some gonna, of your time. I think I'm going to cut off my uh, opening statement. Wow, there. 
Both of you guys are so much better about time than I thought so, because I know both of you guys would be long-winded. So <laughs> uh, now we're going to jump into a cross-examination period where the I think this is where we're going to get more into the meat of it, because obviously there's a lot of different terminologies and whatnot being thrown around. So with that being said, um, you know, Joshua, you kicked us off the last time. So how about you kick us off this time as well? Uh, what, what would be the cross-examination that you would like to go with, Brad? Go ahead. Uh, so, Brad, when when I present, uh, I'm going to present several phrases um, to you that that's associated with baptism in the New Testament. As you said, one of the things that you said was that if if it's if it if we're saved by faith, then baptism was maybe be an addition to that. Maybe it would be count as a work and not as 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 faith. Maybe you can clarify that. For instance, when Paul gives his testimony in Acts 22. Uh, and, and we see it in Acts 9 as well. When Ananias um, approaches Paul for him to be able to see, and he says, you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he tells him, arise, be baptized, and wash away your sins. In fact, it doesn't say belief or faith there. I mean, I'm, I, of, of course, I'm not going to argue that belief and faith aren't a part of salvation. But he specifically says you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Your sins are washed away. Get up and get baptized. And he says he got up and got baptized. Um, why separate baptism and faith, even within Paul's testimony, as we'll reference his, his, his letters in just a little bit, um, if Paul didn't separate the two? Hmm. Well, I, I, I guess in, in that aspect, really, you've got to ask what baptism Paul is talking about, because he makes no reference really to water at all. Where? In in the passage you, you just, just cited. cited. In, in Acts 22? Yeah. So you... you well, unless, unless, I'm, unless I'm misunderstanding which verse you're, dis you're, you're speaking no, no, about. Okay. okay, so it would be in, in Acts chapter number 9, and it's specifically verses 17 and 18. In Acts 22, it's verse 16. But uh, when Ananias comes and says, be filled with the Spirit... Arise and be baptized, and then it says Paul is then taken and he, he gets baptized. You think that he went and underwent spirit baptism, or he went and underwent water baptism? And then when Paul gives this testimony to the Pharisees in Acts 22, he's given his own testimony. He says, Ananias told me, what are you waiting for? Rise, be baptized, and wash away your sins. You think that he's referencing spirit baptism there, or he said, arise, be baptized with water, and... Wash away your sins. Well, I think the important thing to uh, to really point out there uh, specifically is is how Paul says to be baptized. Okay, so he says, "Arise and be baptized by calling on His name." Okay, so that's mm -hmm. making a statement of faith, as as Paul clearly states in in Romans. You know, the Romans road. Uh, you know that uh, salvation salvation comes by faith alone, uh, and also professing uh, that uh, God raised. Yeshua Messiah from the dead. So, so that, that Paul already tells us the how of baptism in that verse. So so when he says, like, like for instance, if you said, and I said, yes, I've been baptized and made a profession of faith, would you ask me the question, yes, but have you believed? All right, it's all about your personal profession of faith. Is profession of faith and baptism enough to fill a person with the Holy Spirit? So, 
So I guess the question there really is going to be, you know, you said that your answer would be, yes, I've been baptized and made a profession of faith. Okay, now, do you mean those two to be the exact same thing? Is your profession of faith the baptism that you're speaking of, or are you speaking of uh, being dunked in a pool of water? Yeah, I think that's a very good question. So maybe with just that as a base, we can move on, because uh, Paul never separates faith and baptism. And so maybe we can, I just would would say that he talks about a washing of regeneration. I, I don't, I don't. I don't know that I would say he never separates them. Uh, I think okay. maybe there's a little bit of, of inference that when he says one, he means both. Okay, okay, good. Well, then my question would be, where does Paul contrast baptism with salvation by grace through faith? Or where does he differentiate spirit baptism from water baptism? Hmm. I guess really... Uh, I feel like that question is a little out of out of premise. See, my response to that would be to ask, where do you see Paul state that they are inherently tied to one another? Oh, well, I mean, besides the fact that, let's say in the book of Acts, right, these, this is the practical way that we baptize. There are nine baptisms in the book of Acts, right? And we have four extraordinary ones. So we have the... Um, I think it's set up in Acts 1 by Luke. He says, Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth with the Gentiles. And we see four extraordinary baptisms, right? The coming of the Holy Spirit, people speaking in tongues, and we see the, that water baptism and spirit baptism are happening close to one another, but not necessarily at the same time. However, in the, in the other five that we have in the book of Acts, there's no differentiation, Right. So, so for instance, when when the apostles in Acts chapter two receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and uh, Peter preaches a sermon, and the people say, "What what do we do?" He puts them together. He says, "Repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of sins, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit." When Paul's baptized, they go together. When the Ethiopian eunuch is baptized, no sense that they were separated. Right. Right. When Lydia and her household, or when the uh, Philippian jailer in his household, or Crispus in his household, there's no difference between water baptism and spirit baptism with any of those. And I would mm -hmm. argue if we look at Paul's letters, there's also no difference. They're always together in the normative way of how we're baptized. So, so I think, again, I think the issue here is one of, of inferring the two being simultaneous uh, and rather synonymous with one another. For instance, you, you just cited, you know, when Peter was asked, what do we do? He said, repent and be baptized. He, he made no inference that repentance was baptism. There, you no, see, no, there, there, those, no, those are two, two, separate, those are two separate, separate thoughts, thoughts that, he's, that, he's, that, he's, that he's, you know, right. established. So we, would say, we would say repentance is you're dying to sin, right? Baptism is you being buried with Christ. I don't. I don't. Mean, raised, raised to walk in the light. Right. Right. I don't know. I don't know if I would say. I don't know if I would say that. Better, better. No, I don't think I would say that repentance is dying to sin necessarily. Um, that's uh, certainly when when repentance happens, um, sin sin doesn't in a way die, but uh, you know, generally understanding the Judaic concept of repentance, teshuva, uh, specifically, is going to be to turn. To return is is the term. It's it's not just a change of direction, but to return, and the implication is to something. So repentance being being 
turning from the sin that you're committing, absolutely. And what are you turning to? Well, you're returning to the ways of God, which uh, in a Pharisee like Paul would equate to the Torah. Okay. Okay. So in Romans 6, when Paul says that we were united to Christ's death and resurrection through baptism, um, how do you interpret that? I mean, I could say all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death, buried therefore with him by baptism into death, and then were raised to walk in newness of life. When are we united to Christ? Because it, it, Paul says it's through baptism. How, what, what's your interpretation of that passage? Let's see. Which passage is that? Romans, Romans 6, 6, 1 through, 1 through 10. 10. Romans 6, 1 through 10. Okay, 1 through 10. So the specific reference you're making to um, being baptized with Christ is going to be which verse in particular? Uh, so in verse number 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? In verse 4, buried, baptism into death, and raised to walk in the of life. Okay, so the interesting theor- thing here actually uh, about what Paul is saying is that it actually directly correlates to mikvah of, of Judaism. Um, that's, that's actually a one-to-one equivalent of what mikvah is. Uh, so, for instance, uh, the sum up of a conversion into Judaism would be this. First of all, it's a, it's a years-long process, um, but it culminates with, if you're a man, a circumcision, and then a mikvah. Uh, if you're a woman, just a mikvah because you can't circumcise a woman. Uh, and the idea of, of the baptism itself, the idea of the mikvah, is that uh, first of all, water is not necessarily seen as what cleanses you. That's that's your grave. Hence the reference to death that Paul is making here. Okay, because there's no air underwater, therefore there is no life. Because life, life, breath, because God breathed life into Adam in Genesis. So there's no air in the water. It's considered a grave. When you go into the water as a Gentile, you are deemed absolutely dead for all intents and purposes. And when you rise again. You are seen as having been born as though it were from a Jewish mother. These are actually what they call sons of Abraham. When you see Paul in the book of Acts reference, you know, brothers, sons of Abraham, and devout men, he's actually referencing three separate groups, Jews, Gentile converts, and then uh, devout men would be Gentiles who have not converted, but are still observant to the Jewish way of life. So what I see here actually is Paul making a direct reference to mikvah. Um, However... Whether or not that's, that is the salvation in and of itself. So uh, the, the, the problem I see there is when you, when you get baptized um, and then you are pulled from the water, um, you're, you're, not, you're not risen. We're not, we're not fully redeemed, you and I. We don't live in the, in the millennial reign. Okay, We're in the process of being redeemed, absolutely. I, I would tend to agree with that. Uh, so I, I think maybe you're extrapolating Paul's statement to a point where uh, it's it's not yet fulfilled in its fullness. Okay, so so the question, so the question I, would have, I would have is that Paul specifically says that we enter Christ, all right? We are united with Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection through baptism, which is similar to what he says in Second Corinthians chapter or First Corinthians chapter number eleven, which we're going to get to in a little bit. Uh, as far as the exegesis of it, but he says we're baptized into Christ uh, by the Holy Spirit. So, with both of them, as you said, I, I agree with you. The Jewish mikvah, which is water baptism, is when we're united with Christ, united in his death, burial, and resurrection. And so, to be united with Christ through baptism, to be united with Christ is salvation. 
And so for Paul, when does that happen? When do you, I, you said I, next? When do you feel you the spirit, with the spirit have your sins your sins washed away and you're united with Christ in baptism? Right. All all that's what the passage just said, right? So again, so, I would tend to disagree simply because um you weren't necessarily viewed as condemned prior to the mikvah in the conversion process. Okay, you first of all, you you were of the faith. You were a practitioner of Judaism up to that point, at least in as much as uh, you learned. Um, you weren't necessarily seen as being outside the camp. You were following the the rules of the sojourner who lives among you. Um, well, I mean, that, 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 that lends back, back to, to the, the, the statement the, of faith that Abraham made, okay, belief. Okay, but belief is necessary before baptism can come about. Sure. That's, 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 why, that's, that's why, why the entire process culminates with a baptism, absolutely. Um, but uh, the statement of faith definitely came first. That's the only reason you would convert to Judaism in the first place is faith in the God of Abraham. Sure, sure, sure. So, I mean, for instance, let's use this uh, Romans 6 and, and faith and, and, and Abraham and his circumcision. So, in Romans 3, Paul says, we hold that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And whenever he uses that phrase, works of the law, Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, he's always talking about Jewish works of the law, circumcision, dietary laws, and the Sabbath keeping. And he goes on to talk about Abraham was justified without circumcision, Right? Romans number five, Christ brings righteousness. It's a free gift. He's the new Adam. And then straight into Romans six, where we're baptized into Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection. Paul would have been a perfect time for Paul to say, listen, baptism's a lot like circumcision. That is, don't add it, right? It'd be adding it to, it'd be a work of the law, right? You can't add that to faith. Instead, Paul uses it as a seamless argument. He says, we're not justified by the works of the law. It's these old covenant stuff. We're justified by grace through faith, United in baptism in his death, burial, resurrection, which is very interesting is the same argument he uses in all four of those passages. He mentions baptism in a positive way of how we're united to Christ. So I, I think, first of all, it's a little mistaken to assume that Paul taught against circumcision. Um, we, we certainly see him discuss the, the subject of circumcision uh, and and whether or not it is necessary for salvation. And uh, I would actually have you note that the same ways that he says that circumcision is, is not necessary for justification, um, he never comes out and says, well, baptism is absolutely necessary for those things. Uh, but, but to go back to my first statement, I think it's a bit of a, a, mis, a misunderstanding to assume that he actually taught against uh, circumcision, for instance, in... Um, well, Acts 21, we, we see uh, Paul comes to James, uh, and James tells Paul, look, I have been told, we have been told, that you are teaching against circumcision and the customs. It's important that James mentions the customs, because this is actually a reference not just to the written Torah in the Old Testament, it's a direct reference to the Jewish oral tradition. Um, and James tells Paul, look, to prove that you're not doing this, offer these sacrifices, and then pay for these other four men to do it. I mean, it's a hefty price to, to pay just to prove that you still have zeal for circumcision and the law. Well, I, well, I would say this. Uh, I can show you uh, in all four of the passages against works being against grace and faith that Paul speaks against circumcision. And you can't provide a passage where he speaks against baptism 
it, and I'll let you think on that for a second. In Philippians 3, he says, look out for dogs, look out for evil workers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Speaking of circumcision, dogs and evil workers who mutilate the flesh. Because he says in verse 3, we are the true circumcision who worship God in spirit and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. You don't think that's Paul speaking against circumcision? Not at all. Uh, first of all, it's it's a general misunderstanding of the Jewish idea of what the Torah is and what Judaism is. Um, but I, I think this is a little off the topic. Real quick, though, I'll say, uh, first of all, uh, evildoers, that, that can't be those who do the law, for the law itself is righteousness, 1 John uh, 5.3. 1 John 3, 4, uh, the sin sin is the transgression of the law. Uh, Paul definitely wouldn't be teaching against these things. Those who mutilate the flesh is actually more so a direct reference to the pagan practice of gashing one's flesh, the way we see in uh, the instance of Elijah when he is battling uh, a spiritual battle with the uh, priests of Baal. Okay, so again, you, you but, wouldn't say that, like Romans 2, he's not a real Jew who's one outwardly, nor is true circumcision something external or physical. He is a Jew who is one inwardly, and real circumcision is a matter of the heart, spiritual, not literal. His praise is not from men, but from God. That's within the context that he ends with recommending baptism. But you wouldn't see that as him speaking against physical circumcision? Oh, not no. at all. Um, Judaism actually today still acknowledges that. First of all, just being born Jewish is not enough to consider yourself Jewish. Uh, if you are not an active practitioner of the faith of Judaism, then you are technically not Jewish. You're, you're just as much a, a Gentile as as anyone else who doesn't practice it. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of faith. That's, uh, as I said, it's it's entirely based around the fact that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Again, we don't see Abraham receiving a baptism. So, you know, for there to be an actual change of the mode of salvation, uh, I think that needs to be better established. I'm not saying that Paul doesn't uh, speak for baptism. What I'm saying is that he doesn't inherently tie the two together as being necessary in unison. Hmm. Okay, so so that would lead me into John 3, where Jesus says that we must be born again, born from above, regenerated by water and spirit. So water is uh, water baptism. Spirit is the spiritual baptism that came with Christ. As John says, I baptize with water, but we see this uh, when Jesus is baptized, right, the Holy Spirit comes down, kind of showing what would happen at Pentecost. At Pentecost, water baptism and spirit baptism are united. But that phrase where Jesus says you have to be born of water and spirit, and then Paul uh, Peter says at Pentecost, be baptized and receive the gift of the spirit. And Paul says you're washed in regeneration and the renewal of the spirit. Do you believe that baptism of water and baptism of spirit are both necessary as in the words of Christ and the apostles? So, before I answer that, I'd actually like to go back to something you, you just said. Um, uh, I, I'm curious to hear your basis on uh, the situation in Acts 2, uh, spiritual baptism and, and water baptism, uh, having once been separate, now being united in the same thing. Uh, explain, please, your, your basis for that in Acts 2. Right, so, in, so, in John 7, we hear that um, the Holy Spirit had been given because Christ hadn't been glorified. And so even after his death, burial, and resurrection, he gives the great commission to the apostles, but says, hold on, not yet. In Acts chapter number one, it says that what were they waiting for in Jerusalem? They were waiting for the promise, right, Joel 2, that God the Father was going to pour out the Spirit upon all flesh. 
And we see that that's what happens in Acts chapter number two. And so from then on, baptism is not just a ceremonial washing. Baptism now brings with it also the baptism of the Spirit. And so we see those four groups enter into the church. And in every all four of those instances, they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They receive the baptism of water at the same time. And then with all the other five baptisms and acts, they're all united. So God is fulfilled what Jesus said, that we have to be born of water and spirit. So I guess so I'm I guess understanding then, which, which part in Acts 2 states that the two that were once separate will now be unified into one, one action? Well, I would, I would ask you this, where are they separated from then on out in the New Testament, right? So Jesus says water and spirit are, are how we are born again. Peter says you need to be baptized by water and spirit. All of the baptism in, in Acts have water and spirit. Paul says that when you're baptized, that's when you are baptized in the spirit into Christ. That's when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon you. Those, those two ideas are never separated again in the New Testament. Actually, what I see in the New Testament is almost always they're inherently separate. For instance, in, in Acts chapter 10, uh, the first thing we see is that Cornelius and his, his entire household received the Holy Spirit first. Only after that do they go and baptize. Now, that, 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 that's true. So uh, why did God baptize him with the Spirit before he baptized him with water? Why would you figure? Well, because they because had Paul, faith. Paul, Peter, Peter gives the reason. Peter says, wow, the Holy Spirit's come upon the Gentiles also. I mean, who can forbid water to these people who have received the Holy Spirit like we have, right? And then in the next chapter, the Jews are mad because he was among the Gentiles. He said, no, no, no you don't understand. We baptize them with water because they've been baptized like we have. So in, in Acts 10, the spirit baptism came just before the water baptism. But if you go back to Acts 8, where the Samaritans come into the church, it's the opposite, right? You have the water baptism, and then you have Peter and John, because they, they converted under Philip's preaching. And Peter and John go up, and they lay hands on them, and they receive the spiritual baptism, right? To show God showing that you need the apostolic church for that baptism of the Spirit. But in that, in that case, it's reversed again. But in every case, you have baptism of water, baptism of Spirit. Even when they're separate, although they happen very closely to one another, they're not separate any other time. Like those were four special times where God uses them as separate to show that they're going to be together. But so in every other baptism, baptism, they're the same. So, so just, just to clarify. Real quick, you, gentlemen, I don't mean to interrupt too hard, but just want to let you guys know there's about, let's give it 15 minutes. Okay. okay. <laughs> are, are, you, are you saying that... Um, the in the case of the Samaritans, that they were not believers prior to uh, receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Are you are you saying that they were they would have been condemned at that point? No, they 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 believed and were baptized by water, uh, very much like um, say the the um, although theirs was a Trinitarian baptism at that point, the two can happen separately. Uh, and up until that point, they had never happened uh, together, right, until Pentecost. But God at this point is showing that water baptism is not enough without spirit baptism. Spirit baptism is not complete without water baptism. And all is done in the ministry of the apostles. They're now put together. So, so, that, that was, so, so I, I guess, guess that's, that's, that's really what I'm 
that's what I'm struggling to, uh, I guess, to understand where you're where you're coming from here. Um, so, had Cornelius and his family died at, at at some point by by some God forbidden mishap uh, between receiving the Holy Spirit and being baptized after Peter said, "Hey, let's baptize them." Um, would they be condemned to hell? No. Okay, well then we're in agreement then that water baptism is in no way necessary for salvation. Okay, okay you, you have, have to be very, very careful. careful with your words. To say that water baptism is in no way necessary because God was using these four ex- uh, extraordinary cases to show that they would always go together, I, I don't see how you leap between the two. In fact, I, I see the exact opposite. And that, again, my interpretation is is not just with those taken within the scope of every other time baptism is mentioned in in the New Testament. It's never contrasted with, with faith. It's no, not, it's not contrasted. contrasted. So when when, when does a person, person when does a person receive the Holy Spirit? Well, uh, I believe I, I believe the uh, the idea that we get from the New Testament is when there's a profession of faith. So, so why, why does Jesus say we have to be born of water? Where does he say so that? We have to be born of water in the Spirit, John 3, 5. Okay. okay. Well, well, I would raise to you the question then, uh, the, the same one that Nicodemus himself does. Uh, as as a, a leader in the Sanhedrin, uh, Nicodemus uh, obviously had, had a great understanding of, of Scripture and prophecy regarding the Messiah and faith matters. This is why he even came to Jesus in the first place uh, to explain what the mind of the Pharisees that were with him were. Because you notice he says to Jesus, we know that you come from God. Not I know, but we know. In other words, there's, there's more than one party here. Um, but his question to Jesus was, can a man enter his mother's womb again? Okay, so the the question here is for someone who has already received water baptism prior to is 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 salvation is salvation already attained there john's baptism didn't bring um salvation okay that's that's, that's kind of the point, point that i'm that i'm driving at then okay, okay. no 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 this is exactly the, well i would disagree that jesus didn't bring something new that the New Testament church says it brings something new, right? It specifically said that the law and the prophets testify until John, but now the kingdom of God has come, right? As Jesus says in John's first message, the kingdom of God is near. And then it says the Holy Spirit wasn't given until Jesus was glorified. And so, yes, when he, his death, burial, and resurrection, and then on the day of Pentecost, something new happened, and spiritual baptism was poured out upon the world, just as Jesus said. And from then on, baptism is in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and it brings the baptism of the Spirit and the baptism of water are together after after Pentecost. So right? you know, this is why Ananias says to, uh, to Paul, receive the Holy Spirit, go be baptized. So you don't think the Holy Spirit uh, existed, or not, not existed per se, um, but you don't think the Holy Spirit interacted with mankind prior to this point? No, but he was not, no, he absolutely did, right? We see the Spirit of God hovering upon the face of the waters in Genesis chapter 1, a great prefigurement of, uh, of baptism. The Holy Spirit works throughout the Old Testament, but there is a new outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit could not happen, according to John 7, until Jesus was glorified. Peter says, or Jesus himself says, Acts chapter 1, wait in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. 
As John said, I baptize with water, but you will be baptized with the Spirit not many days hence. Peter repeats the same thing, right? The Spirit is poured out as soon as Jesus is now at the right hand of the Father. He pours out the Spirit. And by the way, that's one of Paul's favorite words for baptism is the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, right? Just as, And that's why uh, baptism is a, it, 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 we, we immerse sometimes, we pour sometimes. The church has always done that because it's such a wonderful picture of the Holy Spirit being poured out as well. All right. So again, so, so Jesus says you have to be born of water and spirit, but you would say that you only have to be baptized with the spirit. Is that right? Absolutely. Um, okay. Because, uh, because, well, first of all, explain, I'd like you to explain why you think Jesus said one must be baptized uh, of water, which, again, remember, these are terms that, that Nicodemus is uh, familiar with. Okay, so it's in the context of baptism, and why does God choose that baptism with water and baptism with the Spirit should be united? Uh, again, God felt it was fitting that the water is necessary to drink for life. We drink the Holy Spirit. Water is necessary for cleansing, and so he unites it with a cleansing from sin, right? It's a good picture of, being, uh, of dying with Christ and being resurrected. It's a great picture of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon us, right? I, I can't question why God chooses to do what he does, but the New Testament links water baptism with spirit baptism. That, that would be the point. And, and Jesus well, started it in John 3, and then he continues it. Mark 16, he that believes and is baptized will be saved. Right? Here's the thing. Something something that shouldn't be. I don't, first of all, I don't think Jesus started it in John 3. First of all, remember, he's, he's using terms that Nicodemus is, is familiar with, uh, it really, he's, he's referring to mikvah, which is why it was, that's a foreign concept to Nicodemus. It's, it's, that's why it confused him, okay, because uh, why does a Jew need to convert to Judaism again? That's the idea, and you got to understand the premise Nicodemus is operating from is that Israel are the people of God. They're the ones that God made the covenant with, okay? The struggle for the Jews at this time was the idea of Gentile inclusion, now, absolutely, the idea of Gentiles being included in the kingdom of Israel would definitely come with a mikvah. That, that was par for the course at this point. So you believe the mikvah is when a person is united with Christ? When, when they're, they're born, born again? again. No, I, I believe the statement of faith is when they become born again. I thought you said that the mikvah was their new birth. It's, it's their, their new birth, birth as, as, as one of Abraham's children, absolutely. Okay, so I guess I'm just confused about your position. So when Jesus says that a person must believe and be baptized to be saved, why does he put those two things together there? Hmm, I guess the read, so here's what I'm going to ask then. Do you think that Paul and Jesus were not in unison in their teaching? Oh, of course they were. I, Paul unites water and baptism as well. Well, well no, no, Paul blatantly dictates that faith alone that that faith alone is is the only the only thing necessary for salvation okay 100%. now now oh, that's that's what we're discussing here then um the, no, the water, water baptism, baptism is, is not is, is, is not, is not a, necessarily, a, necessarily a matter of faith it's the evidence of faith absolutely that's why it's the result that's why it would typically come after so, so in romans when he says a man's justified by faith apart from the law but then goes on to say we're baptized into jesus's death and resurrection is he contradicting himself not at all. Okay, so in Galatians 2, when he says justification were through the law, Christ is dead in vain. But then he goes on to say, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Does he contradict himself? 
are you so are you saying that being baptized into Christ in these these instances is water baptism? Because, because yes, that, sure doesn't, that, that, that doesn't that doesn't really, really consist, consist with what Paul's saying, saying there. there. Okay, okay, what baptism is it? That would be the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the one we see in Acts ten. Oh, throughout the Book of Acts, right? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Right. right. So, 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 so you 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 can show me that every time Paul mentions in Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, and Colossians that baptism unites us with Christ and washes away our sins, he's not talking about water baptism. Well, in which of those does he specifically mention water? Well, let's say in in um, let's say in Ephesians. Right? In Ephesians, he says, just before he says, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, he says uh, in verse number five that we are dead in our trespasses and then made alive together in Christ. Right, And then he says we're saved by grace. And so maybe I'll ask you this from that passage. When are we dead in trespasses of sins and then raised to walk in newness of life? When does that happen for a Christian? When one comes to faith. In baptism. No, no, I wouldn't say, say in baptism. baptism. I would, I would say, say when, when one, one comes to faith. Right. right. But Paul in Romans 6 says it's in baptism. Mm, where in Romans 6? No, no, we already looked at that. Romans 6, 1. We're buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Again, I'm, 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 kind, of, I'm kind of missing the, the reference to water baptism there, though. Okay, so every it's, time... It's, it's allegorically relating it to me, but absolutely. I'll, I'll, I'll agree with, with you on that, that but... So, so every, every time, time it mentions, mentions baptism and salvation going together, it's spirit baptism. And every time it mentions water baptism and it's, it, it's can be separate, then it's water baptism. Is that, that the position? Absolutely. Okay. And, 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 and again, you, you, this, this comes, comes from your theology, or do you have a verse or a passage that differentiates it? Well, I, I would actually specifically go to uh, John. Uh, John the Baptist specifically said to his disciples, I baptize with water. He baptizes with the Holy Spirit. In other words, what he's doing is functionally different from what I'm doing. So, so there is a distinct Paul difference in, 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 in the, the actions, actions of what's, what's going, going on. on. So, so John, John the Baptist baptism is the same thing as uh, the apostles' water baptism? Yeah, absolutely. So, so why, why does Paul rebaptize the disciples of John in Acts 22? Or excuse me, Acts 19? Oh, is that another spirit baptism? Where's, Where's the reference to water? And, and, okay, so in Acts chapter number 19, when it says he comes to the disciples of John and says, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they said, we don't know there is a Holy Spirit. What were you baptized into? We were baptized into John, and it says he baptized them, and then he lays his hands on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit which, which, verse, verse, which, which, which verse, verse are we referring to here? So, uh, let's see. Acts chapter number 19. Um, Paul says, verse 3, Into what then were you baptized? Into John's baptism. Verse 4, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who has come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's That's... that's that's, That's not, not with water. water. Where's, Where's the, the reference, reference to water? Can you give no, no, notice that what Paul, what Paul is, is actually contrasting here is with John's baptism, which John himself said, this is different. 
Right, right. But, but to to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus in the book so, of Acts, that, that's not so a water baptism. When when Paul or excuse me, when John said that the baptism of the Holy Spirit would be different from his baptism, was he not telling the truth? No, it was different in two instances because Number one, his baptism wasn't Trinitarian. That came with Jesus' great commission. And then number two, the two were not united until Jesus was glorified. And then in the book of Acts, we see nine times that they happened together, right? Four times extraordinarily to show that the two were going to be linked. And the other five times, when Paul is baptized with water, he also, the Spirit washes him clean of his sins and he's filled with the Spirit, according to the book of Acts. So, so you would say that water baptism with John and water baptism after the death and resurrection are, are, are different, Fun functionally, functionally different. different. That's, That's right. right. Okay. And in form. And in form. Right. That's why Paul rebaptizes them. Every time we see it in the book of Acts, it says if someone is baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, they undergo water baptism. And so I feel like the only reason you want to say there was no water in Acts 19 is because if he rebaptizes John's disciples, then your your point is is mute. Is that is not that fair? Sure. Not really. Um, but the, the the trouble here is to assume that being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ is is to be baptized by water. Okay, I, I think it's a fundamental misunderstanding of, first of all, what a name is in a Judaic context and what it means to do something in the name of. I don't mean to cut you guys off. That was great. But I do have to cut time. We went a little over, but we just started getting to do some hot stuff. I didn't really want to stop it. But uh, I am trying to stick with the schedule a little bit here. So um, thank you guys for that interaction. But real quick, I did want to set a time specifically. And you guys are kind of already doing it automatically. But I wanted to make sure we got to specific exegesis time. So this is obviously moments where you guys are actually going to be able to pull from very popular passages. And I just got to say, right? Right now, um, uh, Josh, uh, Joshua, you are just uh, like uh, this reference machine, and that was I was just like, whoa, man, he's just pulling from everywhere. It's pretty, pretty great. So, um, but uh, anyway, um, so real quick, I wanted to since Joshua, you kicked us off the last two times. Uh, Brad, I would like for you to kick us off on this part. Uh, would you be able to kick us off on an exegesis of First Corinthians twelve thirteen, and then we will go ahead and ask Joshua to do the same. Absolutely. Uh, so 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. So, by the spirit, all believers are immersed into one body. Uh, there's 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 a reason for the the reference to the body. We're all encompassed and covered in. Uh, but what is the body? This is this is an important question. So Romans 11 and Ephesians 2 would suggest that this body is the bride of Messiah. Okay, I I don't think many would disagree with that. Um, the body of the bride of of the Messiah though is is what? Well, that that's the nation of Israel. Remember, Israel is who God made His covenant with. Jeremiah thirty one. It's made with Israel. There's really nowhere that the New Testament church ever has a covenant made with them in all of Scripture. The covenant is always with Israel. This is 
this is why even in Ephesians 2, uh, Paul strains that you Gentiles who are far away from the promises of God, apart from the covenants, were now brought near because of the blood of Messiah. Okay, uh, So all have received the same spirit. These are two separate thoughts indicating, uh, indicated by the difference in analogy. Both are analogous all the same. Literal baptism is not the subject here at all unless one concedes this baptism is that of mikvah. Apart from the conversion ritual, nonetheless, this verse is a separate issue from salvation itself. Uh, let's see. All who are saved are equal. This is true. This is why Paul says, you know, Jew and Gentile, we're all, we're all equal in this. Um, but this is no indication that a ritual, I, I, I you know, in, in essence, a water baptism is necessary for salvation. Uh, let's see. I had one other note here on that. Well, uh, well how, how do we know this is really different? from a water baptism, the Jews did that all the time. Okay, that's, mikvah was a regular thing for them, actually. Um, you saw me pull out uh, one of my Talmuds earlier. It's actually an argument about all of the different uh, situations and circumstances under which a ritual purity would be necessary, which that's, that's the idea in general. If you're going to house the Holy Spirit, then uh, that which houses it should probably be pure. Uh, so uh, the Jews all mikvah regularly, and here the Gentiles who do not are equally included in the body and receive the same spirit. All right, thank you, Brad. Uh, take it away, Josh. Joshua. Well, <laughs> things here. I feel like Brad is going to. And I see this often. Every time baptism is directly linked to salvation, it has to be spirit baptism because it can't be water baptism because water baptism isn't linked with salvation. Right? That's not born out of the text. That's a theological assumption. Whereas uh, John the Baptist's disciples are rebaptized, uh, but it can't be that it was water baptism, even though the same language is used there as used in with the Samaritans in Acts chapter number eight, right? So the, the clear reading of 1 Corinthians 11, by one spirit we are baptized into one body, agrees perfectly with the other four passages that Paul contrasts circumcision and works of the law. Galatians chapter three, as many as you are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. When does that happen? At baptism. Right? Well, it must be spirit baptism because water baptism is linked with the spirit or isn't linked with salvation. Uh, that's a theological opinion. That's not in the text. Romans 6, all who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. That's, that's what Paul says in the context of salvation by grace through faith. 1 Corinthians 11, by one spirit we are baptized into one body. Right, And that's why in, in Ephesians 4, when he's talking about the unity of the Jews and Gentiles, he says the unifying, there are seven unifying doctrines in the church that holds it together. And one of those is baptism that he gives, right? One Father, one Lord, one Spirit, the Trinity unites us. One body, that is one church, one faith, one hope, one baptism. And actually those seven things held the church together for 1,500 years that water baptism and spirit baptism were linked. And so this idea that it can't be water baptism because it would be contrasted with faith, isn't a biblical objection. It's not borne out by the text. And then I don't really understand your position, because then you also link it to the Jewish mikvah, which is water baptism. And, 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 and maybe this links with the other, maybe here. We see that no, no New Testament example is given of a person being baptized with water twice after the glorification of Jesus. Is that right? Like no repeat baptisms? 
Oh, are you asking me? Yes. yes. Mm, I, I don't know that I would say that. We Again, we clearly see that Paul made sacrifices at the temple uh, in the book of Acts at the behest of James, and a mikvah would often accompany that. I, but, but no, no direct, direct reference, reference in the New Testament. In well, that is a direct it's reference. It's baptism? The, uh, a a mikvah accompanying a sacrifice? sacrifice? Absolutely. So you, you think, think that's, 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 that's one that goes without saying because it's, it's, it's temple procedure. So, so that, that goes without saying, but in Acts 22 when he baptizes John's disciples, that's not water baptism. Not at all. Okay, and, 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 and with, with the, the Samaritans, Samaritans in Acts chapter number 8, they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then they're baptized into Jesus Christ, which you assume is water baptism there. Is that right? right? Mm, I don't know that I would assume they were a water baptism. If, if, if they've already received faith at that point, uh, maybe, maybe I'm not under understanding what you're what you're presenting. Are you saying that they were baptized with water prior to this and then back into uh, into Jesus, or what? what what's what, what are you right, trying I'll give to you illustrate? The, I'll give you the reference in Acts chapter number eight. They they are all baptized. I'll give you verse number fifteen um, or verse fourteen. Peter and John come up uh, because they've received the word of God. It says, they came down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for it had not yet fallen on them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Is that water baptism? Let's see. The apostles had to come and lay their hands for them to get the baptism of the Spirit, because they had only been baptized into the Lord Jesus before that. Is that is that water baptism? No, I don't know that I would say that. The idea of being being baptized well, into Jesus is, is that's a profession of faith, as we're actually about to see here soon. I don't want to get oh. too much into the weeds here, guys. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I'm just so that we get back into the exegesis, um, maybe we could, we could always do a follow-up. But I, this is obviously a very thick topic. So, um, Joshua, was there any more you had on 1 Corinthians 12, 13 on that? No, I would just link it with every other time Paul says we are placed into Christ by baptism. Okay. Um, so now, uh, Brad, can you exegete 1 Peter 3.21? And I know this is the uh, probably one of the biggest things that are, are brought up when this topic is debated. So if you both could just take some time on that one, that'd be great. Yeah, this one... Um this one in, in many debates that you'll watch about this is presented as like, you know, the nail in the coffin on the subject. And it, it's almost, uh, I don't want to say comical, but it's, it is funny and a little ironic. So, you know, First Peter uh, 3.21, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, in parentheses, not as the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay. Baptism. Let's let's first of all let's let's read this without the modifier. The the uh, the what's in parentheses is a modifier. So, baptism, which corresponds to you, now saves you through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now I know the way that that sounds, but now now let's let's identify the modifier. Not as the removal of dirt from the body. Okay. In other words, not a water baptism. It's it's this is this is very clearly something not a water baptism for that that that's what a water baptism was for in the first place um 
let's see. He specifies that the baptism is not a washing, but rather a pledge of good conscience towards God. Okay, that is the baptism that he's referencing, is a pledge of good conscience towards God, or a declaration, declaration of faith, uh, if you would. Uh, in this verse, Peter blatantly actually contrasts baptism as we know it against a simple statement of faith. All right. Is that, is that what you would, is that your final statement? Absolutely. Submitting it in. All right, Joshua, see if it holds up. Go ahead. Okay, so, so Peter picks up an Old Testament reference to water and uses it as a type or a shadow of New Testament baptism. But it's not water baptism, only in the Old, Old Testament. It seems like it's, it's a pointless reference. And let me pick up here. So there are at least six types or shadows of baptism in the Old Testament. Creation Day, when the Holy Spirit hovers upon the face of the waters. And then we see Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit coming down, or in Acts chapter number 2. With Noah and the flood, right, we have eight people saved in the ark, which is a good picture of Christ. And the water holds them up from destruction, same as baptism in the New Testament. First uh, Corinthians 10 Paul says that the Jews were baptized into Moses in the Red Sea, right? They go through the Red Sea 40 years in the wilderness. Jesus, after his water baptism, goes into the desert for 40 days, right, as the new Israel. Uh, they go through the Jordan River before they go into the Promised Land. John is baptizing in the Jordan River, right? Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River. The priests wash before their priestly ministry, right? Jesus is washed before his priestly ministry, uh, Naaman dips seven times in the Jordan River and he's cleansed of leprosy. We dip into the water of, baptize, of baptism and we're healed of our spiritual leprosy. And so Peter picks up and says, listen, these were types and shadows preparing you for New Testament salvation. It's, it's remarkable that you say that it can't be water baptism because you said the point of water baptism was to wash, he, to wash you clean of dirt. Right, he he says that that baptism doesn't wash away dirt, it 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 affects because it is a testimony of our faith. It is the way we respond in faith and in a clear conscience toward God. That's why God has linked it to that. And so baptism is the first response of faith. That's why we never see it separated from faith in the Bible. We see Paul loving it as an argument for faith. And so for you to say that it can't be water baptism, it it, it seems like it ruins a point. Why is it there? Why does Peter use it? Well, I, I would, I would, if I can, if I can just respond very quickly, uh, I, I would say the importance, first of all, in the case of Noah and of the Israelites, is firstly their faith is what saved them. Uh, the Israelites did not get wet; they were not immersed in the Red Sea; they went through dry. Noah remained dry in the ark. Their faith is what saved them. Baptism was was really not even a, a particular issue in, in either of those like cases. I feel like you're disagreeing with the apostles. <laughs> Paul says they're baptized into Moses. I don't think I am because Peter sea. does specify here that it is a statement of faith. That's the baptism he's referencing. He's calling the baptism a statement of faith. So why the reference to water in Noah? Why, why is that a picture? Well, why, what saved Noah? His faith. Surely the water didn't save him. The water was meant to kill everything. So why did he mention the water? I'm I'm not I'm not understanding the premise of the question. Why didn't he say Noah was? Are, are you saying that because ark? water is mentioned, it has to pertain to the baptism he's talking about? Even though Peter blatantly blatantly clarifies, we're not talking about water. We're talking about a statement of faith. 
No, he didn't say we're not talking about water. He says we're not talking about washing dirt. We're that, that, about it, exact, that is a direct reference to water baptism. Okay. So you think he references water baptism, or excuse me, water in Noah, to contrast it with no water in the New Testament? No. Remember, what we're talking about is people who were saved by faith, not by water. Again. Why did he mention water? But, Why didn't he say they were saved by faith when they got in the boat? He didn't. He said they were saved I think by I th water. And no, were they saved. weren't. Was Noah saved by water? Yes. No, he was saved from water. <laughs> no, no, he was saved. No, no, this he is was a good saved point. from water. This is good. What, what makes saved them, what him? Made, what made the boat float and save them from destruction? God's will, really, if you want to be real about it. Because it's a, it's it's inconvenient to say water, right? Well, no, it's not inconvenient to say water. First of all, the boat floating on water is entirely uh, antithetical to the idea of baptism, where you are submerged underwater. Now, if you want to say the uh, if you if you want to make the claim that the earth itself was baptized in water at that point, Noah being excluded, uh, that that makes sense. I, I can I can track along with that, uh, but. Specifically, though, Peter here is blatantly saying, no, we're not talking about a baptism water. We're not talking about the removal of dirt from the body. But then he specifies the pledge of good conscience toward God. And I would just say, and the last thing I'll say here, no one thinks baptism is the washing of dirt from the body. Right. Everyone believes that baptism is the answer of a clear conscience toward God in faith. But you yourself, you yourself even said earlier that the reason baptism is used even symbolically is because it cleans dirt. You, you actually made that comparison. Yeah, that's what God, that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's why it's an important picture, right? If it doesn't actually do something in the world, right? We drink water. Water doesn't give us spiritual life, but we drink water for life. And so he looks at the Samaritan woman, Jesus, in John 4 and says, I'll give you spiritual water that will spring up into life, right? That's why it's a symbol. That's why Peter says Noah's a symbol because of the water. Baptism now saves you So the answer of a clear conscience toward God. So if Jesus can be referencing spiritual water, why is the baptism into Jesus not pot? That's not possible, that that's also referencing a spiritual nature and not actual water. Well, I'm pointing to more. Because that actually, you, you've kind of helped me out there. I didn't even consider that until you brought it up, but that, that actually kind of helps my point a little bit. Okay, as, as long as you ignore every time in the New Testament the two things go together. Or when Jesus says, water well, that's, and spirit. That's what I'm saying. You don't have earth. to ignore it because they're, they're almost never blatantly tied together in synchronicity. They're almost so always Jesus one says, happens, then the other. If you believed in her and are baptized, you were saved. He's not joining the two? Not at all. What came first? So what if he meant you to believe. Say was, right. So what he meant to say was, if you believe, you're saved. He just misspoke. I'm not saying he misspoke. I'm asking you which one came first. He doesn't. He doesn't separate. So the what two. is primary? He doesn't. He doesn't again separate. Which the two. I, and, I, and I'm asking which one came first. Even to even to again to go back to my original point. The mode of salvation from the beginning was faith. Abraham wasn't baptized. That's right. And yet he believed, and it was counted to him for righteousness. That's this true. is why Paul actually blatantly makes that reference. He does, and then he recommends baptism as well. Oh, yeah, he, he, certain, he certainly recommends baptism. It's certainly a good thing to do. I'm not arguing that. I, I would by no means tell anybody not to get baptized. I've been baptized myself, but I certainly wasn't condemned to hell before I got baptized. I was no, saved first, say, and then I got you baptized. Would, you, would you say that baptism washes away sin? Mm. 
what what do you mean by baptism? The Bible clearly says, "Arise, be baptized, and wash away your sins." Would you agree with that? What What do you mean by baptism? Oh, because we've Spirit already established well? there are a few different baptisms in the Bible. So Paul was never baptized in Acts nine by water. Actually, yeah, no, verses seventeen and eighteen don't actually mention baptism. So in verse 18, when it says, then he rose and was baptized, what does that mean? Acts chapter 9, verse 18? Yeah, because so, so the chronology of what's happening here is, is he's told. Yeah, verse 18. He's, yeah, Immediately he's told. there fell from his eyes, he's as sold. it had been scales, he he's received sold. sight forthwith, and arose and was baptized. What does right, that mean? okay. So when did he receive the Holy Spirit? That's a good question. That That, that is, because... The scales fell from his eyes before he was baptized. So he that's a water his baptism. sight prior to being baptized. So that's a water baptism. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll go ahead. I'll go ahead it and agree with you say, on that it one. Say water. Because no, it, it doesn't. But the important part here is to note that he actually became saved prior to being baptized. Really? When did when did he receive the Holy Spirit? Well. Let's see. Regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So when did he regain his sight? Before or after baptism? Before. Okay, so then that's when he received the Holy Spirit. So the physical, when he received his sight physically, that's when he received the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. That's what the text says. Absolutely. Okay. So in Acts 21, when he rela- or 22, when he relates the story and says, Arise, be baptized, wash away your sins. He's talking about the scales. Is he relating this instance in 22? Exactly. Acts twenty two sixteen. Arise, be baptized, wash away your sins. Is that a spirit baptism? And you're, so you're saying this is Paul recounting this story from Acts 9? That's right. Okay. So why, explain to me why you think Paul would relate that to baptism when he received the Holy Spirit prior to the baptism? No, you believe he received the Holy Spirit Well, that's when he received his sight. Why? Why? Why would the, the text why would doesn't the, say that? Why? It does. It clearly says that he received his sight prior to being baptized. What? Okay. Yes, it does. Yes. Where in the text does it say that when he received his sight, that's when he was filled with the Spirit? Okay. Then, 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 what to you is the miracle of him receiving his sight? Why not wait until after he was baptized for that? That would really, that, honestly, I'm going to go ahead and say that would actually put the nail in the coffin for your issue. But. It, it happened before. In other words, the Spirit was taking effect in him prior to. The Spirit had put a curse on him in a way, as, as you can say. He, he went blind. He had scales put over his eyes. And that was already taking effect in him prior to being baptized. So you're taking the position that baptism doesn't wash away sins and fill you with the Holy Spirit. Uh, physical healing does. No, I'm, I'm taking the position that faith does, which Paul expressed, and that's why the physical healing embodied itself prior to baptism. And you're inserting that into text because it's inconvenient. I'm not inserting it into the text. That's, that's, we're, we're seeing that actively happen. Otherwise, you have the problem of explaining why he received sight before baptism. God can physically heal anybody at any point when they want to. That's not when his sins were washed away. He was baptized when his sins were washed away. That's what he said in Acts 22. Okay, that, that, that's fine, but he received the Holy Spirit prior to that. I'll invite the people watching to find where it says that. 
in the text. Okay, I mean, that's fine. I, I, I just see a fundamental problem. Like, really, if, if God wanted to establish exactly what you're arguing for, it would make sense for him to wait until after being baptized to actually make that happen. We see it happen before, and it's deliberate. It's, it's, it's not unintentional. It's also not an accident. Okay, well, uh, sorry, don't mean to cut you off, but uh, I was just waiting for a pause of the conversation and just kept moving. Y'all are y'all are too good because I went. We went from First Peter three twenty one to talking about Paul after <laughs> the, the transitions happen so fast. I can't keep up. All right, so um, now can we do a Colossians two twelve? Joshua, would you be able to actually kick that one off? Uh, yes, let me find in my notes. So this is this is a wonderful passage. For a number of reasons, it relates to so many things and puts all of them together. So in Colossians, Paul is saying very clearly that the works of the law should not be added to grace and faith. And yet in the middle, and he's spoken repeatedly that circumcision of the flesh is not a part of, of New Testament salvation by grace through faith. And he presses the point, right? He always uses baptism, but he presses the point by then identifying our baptism is the circumcision of the New Testament. So in Acts chapter number, or excuse me, Colossians chapter number 2, say uh, verse number 11. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, putting off the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ. You were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. You who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. And so before we have that we are uncircumcised, that we are dead in trespasses and sins, and then there's a burial in baptism, and then afterwards we are forgiven of all of our sins and circumcised spiritually with the circumcision of Christ made without hands. And so baptism is, again, God's new covenant way of bringing union with Christ, forgiveness of sins, and salvation through faith. All right, Brad, would you be able to go ahead and hit us up on Colossians 2.12? Absolutely. Um, really what I see here, Paul makes it clear that baptism actually is the same as, mik as uh, mikvah conversion that one would see uh, in Judaism. Uh, baptism being the uh, burial of the dead the watery grave as we see. However, what does Paul say raises the faith in the working of God who raised Jesus from the dead? This is a direct reference to his prior statement in Romans 10, 9 through 10. Okay, because you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Note there, baptism's never part of that. Okay, for with the heart one believes and is justified. Again, a direct reference to Abraham. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Again, baptism's really never part of that. Uh, notice that there's no addition uh, of baptism for salvation. A belief in confession is all that Paul states is necessary for salvation. Baptism is something that comes after. A convert to Judaism believes in the God of Abraham first, after he has confessed to this, uh, confessed this, Hang on, let me get, let me get my point in, in, in here. <laughs> I lost my place. Uh, after he's confessed this to a Jew, uh, he is then put through the conversion ritual, which culminates in a mikvah. 
the mode of operation has never changed. Okay, so um, just for the can I can I say can we can we stay on this point for a second? Can yeah, I follow yeah, up? Yeah, go on ahead. That? Go ahead. Okay, so what you're saying is Paul puts baptism in there, but he he really shouldn't have. Or in Romans in chapter ten when he says salvation is by faith. Romans six he talked about baptism. It would have been a great time for him to say, "Listen, don't think that baptism unites you to Christ." I mean, don't think in Colossians two he could have left out baptism, and there wouldn't be a link between circumcision of the heart and baptism. But he puts it in the middle of it. Well, I'm not saying there's no link there. What I'm saying is, what does Paul say is the prescribed requirement for salvation in that passage? Right. Baptism is absent. Are you you saying that he was wrong for not including baptism? In Colossians 3? No, in the Romans passage I just read, which Colossians directly references. Right. It, It does directly reference it. And it references Romans 6, where he says we're buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. You don't see that reference? Again, what does he say raises? What What in is Romans it that 6? raises us? In, no, in, in this passage. You're in the this one, passage. Yeah, yeah, you're the one that contrasts faith and baptism. No, 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 no. Right? Baptism is, baptism is our response of faith. And so it, it, it is a physical no act of faith. I'll agree with you on that. It's 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 absolutely a physical act of faith. Okay? So you contrast but the two, it, but Paul never does. That is that not way. what saves you. Paul here Paul here actually makes that point plain. Again, what does he says raised? He says, Wherein ye are also risen with him through the operation of God who has raised him from the dead. Okay, so this is a direct has, reference to, to Romans. Baptism has nothing to do with the circumcision of the heart. No, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that because, first of all, uh, the circumcision of the heart. What? First of all, what? What is the circumcision of the heart? Yeah, it's it's the act of faith in baptism. That's what Paul says. That's what he put in the passage. No, circ- circumcision. It, it it's of the heart. Okay, we're contrasting it with physical acts here. You you've actually stated that several times. It's it's very clearly not a physical act. Okay, so, so what, what is circumcision of the heart? It's our response to faith in baptism. I, 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 don't, I don't really see a support for that. Well, okay, so because, because what, what does he say? The, the heart is what one believes with. That's true. I don't contrast. Okay, so that, that would be the circumcision of the heart is, is, is a matter of belief, which, again, references back yeah. to Abraham. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this. The passage says we were once uncircumcised and had our sins, and then we are circumcised and we're forgiven. And what does Paul put in the middle? So you're saying the mode of baptism has changed. I'm talking specifically about this passage. We can talk about that later. He no, says because that's what we're trespasses that, of sin, that is what and then we're, we're raised to walk. And he says the middle of it is we're buried in baptism. Is that no, correct? no, no. But but that's what we're talking about. Your 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 position essentially uh, summarized is that the mode of salvation has changed between Abraham and Paul. No. And so I, and was I, Abraham I baptized? You, I can give you. I can give you a. a other passages where Paul relates this. Was Abraham baptized? In Romans chapter, no, he wasn't. And that's actually supports my point. In Romans chapter number four, we see that Abraham is justified by faith. And then he receives circumcision as the seal, the sign and seal of his justification. 13 years later. That's right. 
Okay, right. so so if Abraham had died any point uh, prior to within that thirteen years, he would have he would have been condemned to hell. Uh, there was no baptism uh, for conversion in the Old Testament. Was there? Can you give me an Old Testament passage where someone was converted through baptism? Because my argument is that that's new. That's the new covenant way that we are united with Christ. Exactly. After the resurrection so you of are saying that the mode of salvation changed. It's faith in both, but there's no baptism in the Old Testament. Okay. And so, 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 says, so then, so, so there's an addition. Then that's that's what the change, the mode changed by an addition. The pouring out of the Spirit. Yes. Okay. So, so there was an addition. So God was lying when He said He doesn't change. No, God doesn't change. But you don't think that God can do something new with the Holy Spirit? If it's if it's new, then then it's a change. So do you believe that the the death of Christ as the new covenant um, redeemed mankind with a new covenant? What is different about the new covenant? How did it change from the old? Because Jesus died on the cross. How does that how does that make the covenant how does that make the covenant different from the old? What is, so Jeremiah 31. What about that is different from previous covenants? So Jeremiah 31 is directly referenced in Hebrews chapter number 9. Absolutely. Right. I'm not in Hebrews with chapter that. number six, in which in the writer the writer of Hebrews directly says that uh, he's the mediator of a new covenant. Absolutely. Um, the Old Testament were copies of heavenly things, but Christ has not entered sanctuary made with hands, but into heaven itself. He's appeared once for all at the end of the age to put away sin, the sacrifice of himself. And so the old covenant is vanishing away, and the new testament is the new covenant in his blood. You okay, so so Absolutely, I'm 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 in agreement there. Jeremiah 31 is where the new covenant is first given. What about that is different from 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 the so old? Jeremiah well, you can even read from Hebrews. What is what is what does it say that God says is is different? That Jesus Christ has come and made the sacrifice. Mm, that's that's not at all what it says is different. That's that's first of all, you can't even prove that from Jeremiah 31 that that's what's different. Jeremiah what does Jeremiah 31 says is different? He didn't establish it in, in the Old Testament. He established that's, it in that, Jesus that's, Christ. That's when he gives the new covenant. That's when he says, this is what's going to happen. What about it is different? When it's going he to says, happen. this is not like the covenant that I made with your forefathers, which they right. broke. Okay? Right. So what, what's different? So you believe the new covenant came under Jeremiah? No, I'm saying it was prophesied under Jeremiah. But that is where okay. all of that, that's where all, that's where all the details are given, right, right there. When does a covenant go into effect, according to Hebrews? Whoa. First, let's let's stick to the topic at hand. What is different about Jeremiah 31? Jeremiah 31. Because first of all, I know where you're going with that. The problem is, the problem with your philosophy there is that would absolutely negate all of the covenants prior to where what you're trying to drive at didn't didn't come up, come to pass. So when was, so the was there covenant? no old covenant? There was. It vanished away. When did the new covenant come into effect? When, oh, so when did the old covenants come into effect? What, what, what event encompassed that? The old covenant with Abraham or with Moses? Well, let's, let's just say with Moses. That, that's an easy... Or Abraham. Yeah, let's go with Abraham. When, when, when did that come to pass? When, when, when was that covenant ratified? It was ratified with Abraham through faith and through circumcision and through the promise. Okay, so who died? Because I know that's where you're going with the new covenant. Who died? So you think that that Jesus, when Hebrews says that Jesus 
died and brought together the new covenant, that can't be when the new covenant started because Abraham didn't die. I'm not I'm not saying one way or another whether or not that is when it started. That's really irrelevant to the question. What I'm asking is what is different about the new covenant? Jeremiah 31. What changed? Jesus died. That's the, first of all, that's not even referenced in Jeremiah 31. In Jeremiah 31, when the new covenant is first prophesied, God specifically says, this is what's going to be different. What changed? Jesus died. That's not what it says. Really? When Hebrews, when Hebrews quotes Jeremiah 31, what does Hebrews say is the fulfillment of the new covenant? Well, since when you're, Jesus since holds you're up so... Since you're so keen on avoiding says, Jeremiah 31, says, yeah, we'll go with it. My you. blood is, oh, I have it here as well. And I don't know if, I don't know if, uh, <laughs> I don't know if this is really getting off topic because I, <laughs> I have all these references. But in, 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 when Jesus says, this is the cup of the new covenant shed for thee, right? Okay, so, so let's so, start, let's, let's, well, let's start in Hebrews verse, verse number 10. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after the, those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, or into their minds, and write them upon their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. So what changed? Because in the old covenants, the law wasn't written on the heart. The law was written in, in stone. So what, what changed? And I say all that really just to drive, drive around the point that really the function of it still hasn't changed. Okay, the, the law is still present. Where it's written is the only place that's changed. So the mode is still the same as far as the covenant is concerned. So as far as salvation, being of faith without baptism, what is your basis for adding adding baptism to it? Because God doesn't does change. So we he, see clearly that he doesn't never change his mode. When he contrasts the circumcision of the Old Testament, specifically with Abraham, he then goes on to recommend baptism as when we are united with Christ by grace through faith. But Abraham believed God prior to receiving circumcision. That is that right. is the point. That Again, that is friend, when his faith made him whole. Bab the baptism of water and spirit is what Jesus says in John three is the new covenant way that God relates salvation to His people. All right, I don't want and to. It is a new Sorry, I, I'm sorry. I, I know what you mean. Um, so we're at this point. We're kind of running in circles at the at that point. Um, and uh, you know, we can actually, if we want to talk, have another separate discussion about the new covenant and things. That'd be great. But uh, I'm letting you guys follow your rabbit trails for a little bit. But then I'm like, okay, I have to reel this back in. <laughs> um, so I'm just gonna skip Act 16 because uh, Joshua, you already kind of uh, fleshed that out earlier. Bradley, uh, you kind of discussed that a little bit earlier in the debate during the. Um, uh, cross-examination period, uh, which I figured that would have to come up with the Philippian jailer and all that. So uh, would we be able to do real quick, can uh, Brad, can you exegete Matthew 28, 19 for me, followed by Joshua, and then I'll give you guys your five-minute closing statements. So the the important part of Matthew 28, 19, um, well, there's a couple of important parts. First of all, uh, one of the older Hebrew manuscripts doesn't have the rest of it. It just says go. Um, the matter of fact, if you look into the Shem Tov Matthew, that that is what is there. It ends at go. But be that as it may, we can still go into this. Uh, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. First of all, what is a disciple? And what does in the name of mean? Okay, because the, these are not words that Jesus made up. It's not a combination of words or a phrase that he made up. This is something that if you've ever taken a look at the Talmud, you'll see often. So-and-so said in the name of 
so-and-so in the name of so-and-so in the name of so-and-so in the name of so-and-so. It goes on forever. Um, Judaically, to immerse one's disciples in the reputation and nature of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit would be to be constantly speaking and teaching them the Torah, to immerse them in the study, which in Judaism would be the highest form of worship, as the Shema commands a Jew to do when it states, place these words of mine upon your heart and upon your soul, bind them for a sign upon your arm and let them be for a reminder between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children and speak of them when you sit in your house and when you walk on the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. And you shall inscribe them on the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. As a disciple, uh, as a disciple's job was to mimic his rabbi in every aspect. I know Seamus talked about this uh, with you. He mentioned to me that a disciple, as we're not just talking about converts. A disciple's job is to mimic his rabbi in every possible way. If he spoke with a lisp, you speak with a lisp. If he walked with a limp, you walked with that limp. You were to look exactly like him. That was your job as a disciple. So Jesus here is saying, go and make disciples, baptizing them or immersing them in the name of, okay? In, in, in the name of is not, it, it's not, uh, it's not a magic spell set of words, okay? It's it's not some something you just say to invoke uh, the power of God. Uh, in the name of God, uh, Judaically speaking, would be uh, in his authority, in his nature, in his reputation, okay? So to immerse one's disciples in the nature of God would be to immerse them in Torah because Torah is the nature of God. All right, is that, uh, is that your final statement there? Yeah. All right, I don't, uh, so no, and we're not going to cross-examine this exegesis just for the sake of time. So, Joshua, go ahead oh, with... Wait, 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 but, what? But I, I didn't get a chance to even say anything. I can make it very quick. Oh, no, 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 I, no, no, I, I was going to give you time to still say, I just said I don't want the cross-examination okay. of us, like, target each other. No, I do do want you sure, to sure. give I'll, your... I'll, I'll be quiet. Yeah, shut up, Brad. Yeah, just the text. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so you've asked us to exegete the passages, not eisegete, right? Which is, I read the verse, but instead of letting the verse speak, I come from a theological tradition that then I read into the text. Because in Matthew, he says, go make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mark 16, he says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. In John 3, he says, you must be born of water and the Spirit. Acts 2, Paul, Peter says that you should be baptized for the forgiveness of sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, washing, regeneration, renewal of the Holy Spirit. So water and Spirit go together, right? And But if you, if you first decide that any time Scripture says baptism and links it with salvation or the filling of the Spirit— or uniting with Christ, it can't be water baptism, no matter what the text says. Then there's nothing that these texts can do to prove it. But Matthew 28 very clearly is make disciples and baptize them in water. And that's exactly what the Acts of the Apostles did nine times. And that's exactly what Paul references in those four passages and Peter references in 1 Peter. Water baptism spiritual baptism. There's no contrast between faith and baptism. Rather, it confirms it. And so I think this is a good example of trying to twist the text to fit a theological position rather than just what it says.
Okay, so um, appreciate that, Joshua. And so now what we're going to do is I want you guys to give a quick uh, five-minute-ish um, uh, closing statement, whatever you would want to leave the audience with, with what you have to say or any clarifications you would like to bring. So, and, and, of course, any challenges or anything up to this point. So, Joshua, would you go ahead and kick us off there, followed by Brad. I, th I thought Brad gets the first go with this. Uh, oh, no, no. Uh, I was going to I have uh, Brad as last since you kicked us off at oh, the okay. beginning. Oh, he gets the last word. I understand. My, my, my fault. No, you're fine. Don't worry about it. All right. So Second Peter chapter three, last chapter that Peter writes to us, he tells us to be careful with the Bible and he references the works of his of Paul. And he says there are some things in the writings of Paul that are hard to understand. And he says, some people who come with ignorance or instability will twist the scriptures, right? Pervert the scriptures in the Greek. And he tells his listeners to beware because they also could be carried away with this kind of idea and lose their stability. And so I think it's remarkable <clears throat> that the works of Paul are, are kind of at the center of this. Uh, because it's very easy to see works of the law and say, oh, baptism's got to be a part of it, and not actually read the context where in every time baptism is for grace through faith, not against it. <clears throat> in Hebrews chapter number six, <clears throat> excuse me, the writer of Hebrews says that baptism is a beginning doctrine. He says, let's get past the beginning doctrines and let's go on to higher things. In uh, Ephesians chapter number four, Paul gives it as one of the seven unifying doctrines of the church. When we look at the history of the church, for 1,500 years, we were unified in knowing who to baptize, why to baptize, and, and when to baptize them, until the 1500s, right, when this confusion about Paul starts. And now we have 10,000 plus denominations, and this divides us more than anything else. I would recommend this. Here's a historical challenge to everybody watching. If you will find me a Christian in the first thousand years of the church that disagreed with my position um, and read the people personally trained by the apostles and they talk about baptism in all of this language, regeneration, filling of the spirit, new circumcision, this is what they taught. This is what they taught the next generation. Not after Constantine, not perversion of the church down the road, from the generation of the apostles, and I have quote after quote that we didn't get to. So email me, Baptist2, number two, Catholic at yahoo.com. If you think I've missed any scripture reference or done it injustice, I want you to email me. If you can come up with a historical answer to that challenge, that um, really what we should have been doing all along was looking to Jewish tradition rather than the apostolic tradition or rather than the history of the church. Uh, I approach this with love and prayers, and, and unfortunately, I, I get very excited about this because it has destroyed the unity that Jesus prayed for in John 17. He said, if we are one church, then the world will look at us and know that Jesus sent, was sent by the Father and that the Father loves the church. And yet we are ridiculed because people look in from the outside and say, you can't even get baptism right. And my response is, listen, just like so many other confusions today, we have history to guide us. That is, God promises his church would continue on and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. 
we don't have to guess, right? You get 15 people around a table, they'll give you 15 different interpretations. We can look at just the Bible, and I believe that I've faithfully done that, but we also have the guide that the Holy Spirit didn't let the church apostatize immediately and universally for 1,500 years. And so I, I want to be open with this, and I want to provide that challenge I, on Facebook, Baptist to Catholic, YouTube, Baptist to Catholic. And I give you that not to promote my name. These are local ministries for me. But because if I'm wrong, I want to know. Show me in the text where I've perverted this. Because, again, from 10 years, for 10 years, I had a bad view of baptism. It can't be a part of necessary for salvation. And so I tried to explain away all these passages as well. Once I lost that preconceived notion, that assumption that this was a perversion of the gospel, and so, wait a second, Paul himself says it, Jesus says it, Peter says it, I don't want to be found arguing with the text, arguing with the apostles, arguing with Christ, arguing with John the Baptist. I want to believe what they said, and luckily, fortunately, for the first 1,500 years, we see everyone agreed. And so I think it's unfortunate we have to have this debate Although I think that it's it, it it's useful, may the Holy Spirit use it, and uh, I'll yield the rest of my time. Thank you very much, Joshua. I really appreciate that. Um, Brad, go ahead with your closing statement. So, in in closing, I'm actually uh, very happy, um, very happy to have had this opportunity. This has been uh, wonderful, actually. Um, I think. Uh, I think this kind of discourse between believers is is necessary uh, for unity's sake. Um, the The church has been divided. Absolutely, I'll agree on that. And uh, it's been content to be divided. And uh, as unfortunate as it is, this is what it takes to actually bring unity. Uh, this is why the Jews spent so many hundreds of years arguing over the the meaning of the text of the Torah itself to bring unity to what what one individual passage means, what one small little word meant, and and how to apply it. Uh, because believe it or not, not all of the commandments in the Torah are so plain. Um, and there are there are some things we hold as uh, as religiously binding that aren't even found in the Torah. For instance, uh, marriage itself, the the command to be married, uh, is you're not going to find anywhere. In, in really anywhere in the Bible, uh, yet it's understood uh, to be something that's necessary to have a godly relationship uh, with the opposite gender and, and you know, uh, breed. But uh, that is discussed and derived from the text via this kind of discourse among uh, several rabbis and uh, Christianity, um, you know, Baruch Hashem has, has borrowed uh, from Judaism and maintained that, that, that teaching. Um, However, I'm I'm also very glad uh, that your ending statement landed on Second uh, Peter uh, three, because it's an it's an important verse really to to take into context. You know, Peter does say uh, to be careful, particularly with Paul's letters. Um, he's he's you know he's he's speaking to to some people, and he and he particularly says of Paul's letters uh, that they are. Uh, able to be misunderstood by the unstable, yes, and and then he also says the uneducated. Uh, the important the important part to note about uh, the uneducated is that a seminary uh, did not exist in the days that Peter was was writing this. 
uh, the only teaching, uh, scripturally speaking, that one could find would come at the feet of a rabbi. Uh, and this is this is why we see so many direct references, not just to the Torah itself in a positive light in, in Romans 7 and 1 John uh, and Matthew 5, but uh, also the, the very teachings of the Pharisees themselves, honestly, because let's not forget that James, Paul, uh, and likely Jesus even uh, was a Pharisee. This is why, you know, when we see in Acts 21, 21, we see James referenced the customs uh, in Acts 26, 2. The same customs are referenced in Acts 28, 17. The same customs are referenced. Uh, Romans 3, 2, Paul specifies that the benefit to being a Jew over a Gentile yeah, for all of the times that he says that that they're equal, and I absolutely believe that. Uh, with respect to this, though, he says there is one benefit to being a Jew, and it's that unto us were trusted the oracles of God. The oracles of God—that's that's the spoken words. He's not even referencing the written Torah at this point. He's he's speaking of of an oral tradition, um, and well, that stands to reason. Uh, we see in Exodus 4.22, Israel is God's firstborn. A firstborn son is entitled to a double portion. Uh, the written word of God, that's accessible to anybody. Anybody who can read has access to that. To learn the oral tradition of Judaism, you have to learn it from a Jew. Um, but uh, all that to, to come around to saying even in Judaism, there was, there was never anything necessary beyond belief, starting with Abraham. Uh, Judaism uh, recognizes, uh, probably more so than than most others, that God is absolutely unchanging, um, and we see with the the old and new covenant that uh, the 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 contract of the covenant itself, the law, the Torah, uh, that existed in the first covenant and then existed in in the new covenant. Where it's written has changed. However, the the Torah itself, that's the mode, um, and we, we derive from that, God doesn't change his mode of operation. He may change how it's presented, but his mode of operation never changes. So we see in Genesis, Abraham was saved by belief. Paul himself says Abraham was saved by belief. We've established here Abraham was never baptized, and Paul is recognizing that Abraham was saved by belief. Um, baptism certainly is, is definitely a, a good expression for one's faith. Absolutely, it's a it's definitely something something good to do to um, physically express the faith that you have found. But the faith existed prior to baptism, all the same, and uh, I think we find a very clear case for that in Scripture. And uh, with that, I will yield. Alrighty. Well, I will say, uh, Brad, you were very generous on your opening time, and then you went 30 seconds over here. So I will take it again out of your pay. So, um, <laughs> no, guys. Uh, so thank you guys so much for the discussion, for the candor. Uh, I definitely... Uh, Really was just, I was really impressed with a lot of things that came out, a lot of good information. Thank you guys for being so also respectful, yet also direct. I, I That's the best way to approach these things. And uh, so guys, thank you so much for your time. Uh, thank you for chiming in. And for all of you, if you guys have any questions, this is Brad with Alternate Media. And this is Joshua with Baptist 2, the number two Catholic. Um, I know he is a local ministry for you, but still, um, if you're going to be putting out things, 
or because I think there's also a lot of misconceptions about uh, Jew, uh, Jewish Christianity, and also there's a lot of misconceptions about Catholicism, um, and a lot of misconceptions I even had, by the way, which for both perspectives that you both have educated me on. So I really appreciate you guys so much uh, for being on. Thank you so much. This has been the Church Split.